Hi, I'm Alan Alexandrov, and I am the Senior Director of uh, the Global Summitry Project and the Global Summitry uh, Project website. And there, of course, you will find both the e-journal and the various podcast series. And uh, today, uh, I am very pleased to be able to um, re-invite our colleague, Oliver De La Costa Stunkel, into the virtual studio. This uh, podcast is in the Shaking the Global Order series. It is now volume two, episode one, and it is a interview uh, on Brazil's reactions to the events in the United States. I wanted to get uh, some feel for the government's and Brazilians' reactions to the mob violence in Washington on January 6th. And I wanted to get an update from Oliver on how Brazil is handling the pandemic and also the rollout of the vaccine. Oliver uh, is an Associate Professor of International Relations at uh, Guetilo Vargas Foundation, FGV, in Sao Paulo. There, with several colleagues, he launched a new School of International Relations. Oliver has written extensively on the politics of the rising powers, including uh, the volume The Bricks and the Future of the Global Order, and his most recent book, From Polity, Post-Western World, How Emerging Powers Are Remaking the Global Order. He's a frequent commentator on the hemisphere in journals, various journals, and uh, the media across the region. So, let me uh, welcome back into the virtual studio, Oliver De La Costa Stunkel. Uh, Oliver, I wanted the first set of questions really relate to where Brazil is, and in particular, how the president reacted to the election of uh, Joe Biden. Uh, did he make any statements? Uh, did you get any sense of reaction by hi- hi- him, uh, the president, or the government? Yeah, actually, I think it was um, in Brazil the most watched U.S. election in history, really? uh, largely because the Brazilian president has uh, projected himself as sort of the Trump of the tropics. Uh, and also because you cannot understand the rise of Bolsonaro uh, without taking Trump into consideration. And I think that Bolsonaro's project uh, was possible, um, to some extent at least, uh, due to Trump. The first, because Trump's rise legitimized the type of politician that Bolsonaro is, mm-hmm. uh, this, you know, a lot of people still believe that Bolsonaro could never be elected, but the fact that somebody like Bolsonaro had been elected in the United States made his candidacy seem more credible and gave him uh, sort of a, 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 an argument that said, you know, the United States did it, we can do it too, sort of thing. The, the, also, his access to the White House, even though it didn't produce any tangible benefits to Brazil, it was immensely popular amongst his followers. So the pictures he was taking thumbs up with Trump and with Trump's family uh, were politically very powerful in Brazil. Um, And third, the 
Trumpian foreign policy absorbed so much attention that Bolsonaro's anti-science, anti-climate change, anti-multilateral strategy sort of uh, flew largely below the radar. And because people around the world, from China to Brussels, were so busy uh, worrying about Trump that there wasn't really much space to articulate a broad coalition to deal with Brazil or to punish Brazil. Uh, and all that changed with the election. And so it has been a major topic. It has dominated uh, our public discussion. And the president, as, as far as I can tell, has been the only head of state who has explicitly embraced uh, conspiracy theories uh, about supposed uh, fraud in the U.S. election. Right. Uh, has gone all Trumpian. Uh, has uh, said that the people who invaded the Capitol were, quote-unquote, good citizens, and also has said that the, uh, the, the, the quote-unquote, fraud that supposedly took place in the United States was a sign that something similar would happen in Brazil during the 2022 elections, which basically suggests that the president is using the events in the United States to justify uh, that he will... Perhaps not accept uh, defeat if he loses in 2022. So it's been uh, you, know, you know wild weeks in Brazil in that sense uh, because all the expectations that Bolsonaro would moderate his stance, uh, considering that you know he's lost his great ally, but you still need to deal with the United States. All those mm-hmm. hopes have been dashed, uh, and now Brazil faces pretty broad isolation, I would say, because it's on terrible terms with Europe, Germany and France in particular. It has a very bad relationship to China because Mm -hmm. Bolsonaro has been Mm -hmm. anti-China. Bolsonaro is not on talking terms with the president of Argentina, whom he accuses to be a radical leftist. And now a rupture is imminent with uh, with the United States. So that's where we are. Wow. So, so, um, how how did he or how did the Brazilian public more broadly react to the events of January 6th? And now we are just five days away from um, uh, President-elect Biden becoming President Biden, uh, and along with, uh, you know, his vice president, uh, Kamala Harris. So how, how's the reaction now? Because it looks like it's, you know, this whatever insurrection has not been successful and they are now moving with Trump leaving on uh, in five days. Right. So I think that for Bolsonaro, <clears throat> uh, what happened on the 6th mm-hmm. is still very useful because what, what Trump tried failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if Bolsonaro does the same thing in Brazil, it may work largely because the U.S. armed forces at no stage, you know, uh, signaled that they were ambiguous about a potential rupture, uh, you know, a a constitutional rupture or an attempt to stage a Mm -hmm. self-coup. They were, you know, very clearly committed. And videos of generals, U.S. generals saying, you know, our commitment is to upholding the U.S. Constitution. Right. You know, went viral 
uh, in Brazilian social media always with comments like, you know, look at how the armed forces in Latin America uh, are far less committed to the, the democracy, or at least in Brazil. I think it's different in countries like Argentina, where mm-hmm. the, 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 the public is very uh, skeptical of, of the armed forces, where in Brazil, the armed forces have never really fully uh, taken responsibility for their role uh, uh, during the dictatorship. And there's a significant amount of, of voters, uh, especially those who support Bolsonaro, who uh, are not against returning to dictatorship, who are, who are nostalgic about uh, some sort of past they imagine, which you know never really took place, but who are very ambiguous or skeptical even about democracy. Uh, so in a sense, uh, the events, uh, I think, are an inspiration to, uh, to Bolsonaro, who, who came out you know, s- supportive of, of, of Trump voters who said that, in a way, look, it's obvious they're, you know, they're angry because, you know, the Democrats stole the election, right? Uh, that's what the foreign minister actually said, really? uh, effectively wow. questioning the legitimacy of the Biden administration. Now, mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to say something which I think is, is also really important, that, of course, the United States uh, saw a, you know, a, a profound crisis of its democracy, and that, of course, affects the way it is seen in the world and was shocking you know, from a Brazilian perspective, to look at what what happened, mm-hmm. but it was also an amazing show of strength of institutions who were able to resist a strongman who was trying to somehow, you know, uh, uh, weaken the political process. And the fact that they reconvened, you know, that Congress reconvened not same a night. day later, but a same night mm-hmm. was. So, you know, it was so inspiring, I think. And I spoke to several uh, uh, congressmen in, in, in Brazil who said, you know, these guys, you know, they, they, an invasion didn't stop them. They, they actually pulled this through. And I think that's also very inspiring. So it, I wouldn't necessarily say that the events of January 6 only are, are, are only negative in a way that it's a country that deals with its weaknesses uh, very honestly, very openly, uh, in a way that, you know, China would never, uh, never do. So no, I, I, no. I, I don't think that it's right to say that, uh, you know, that the Chinese narrative, look how democracies can deal with their problems, uh, is fully embraced in Brazil, where the way that the media, the, that Congress, uh, that the armed forces reacted to events of the six are also a show of U.S. soft power in that sense. Okay, very you know very interesting because obviously from the bubble of North America we don't really know how people are are reacting. Um, let me let me shift a little bit here to the issue of the pandemic. Uh, uh, we've heard intermittently, of course, that uh, the president uh, remains uh, skeptical uh, of the and or dismissive of the of the virus. Um, a, as he he became famous for having called it at one point a measly cold, but we now know, of course, that in, in Brazil there are now 8.2 million people who have been infected, uh, and about 205,000 people have died. And I think it ranks Brazil as kind of the third country in in the number of deaths uh, that have occurred. You know, how has the how has the public reacted to to this? Well, 
I think that um, in general, there is uh, a dichotomy that the president has created, mm -hmm. uh, which is either you're uh, in favor of jobs and the economy, economy or yeah. you're in favor of a lockdown, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, that was the first strategy. And his bet in that sense was that people in the long term would be more most concerned about you know their jobs their 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 live their their you know economic uh, survival mm -hmm. than about the risk posed by the pandemic. The second thing is the president has been able to basically um, evade any kind of responsibility. Is basically saying this is a God given thing. Uh, <laughs> The yeah. I'm not in. I'm not responsible. Who's responsible? The states, uh, the mayors, uh, the medical establishment. So if things go wrong, you know, it's really not uh, my problem. And he's been fairly successful at both of these mm. strategies. Mm -hmm. uh, the dichotomy, either uh, in favor of the economy and jobs, or in favor of a lockdown, uh, is you know, is, is now part of the public debate. There's a lot of people who defend that uh, and say, you know, mm -hmm. uh, there's no, we, we can't uh, do a lockdown like the, you know, European countries do, for example, or North America, because we, uh, you know, people need to survive. Right. And uh, only a tiny fraction, one in 10 Brazilians thinks the president is to blame or is the main culprit hmm. uh, for the numbers that you just cited, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that could always change because in part, uh, the economic impact of the pandemic has been that bad. It is, of course, still terrible and the country is facing, uh, you know, horrendous uh, economic calamity. But uh, there's been a cash transfer program uh, to the poorest, uh, yeah. which is 10 times more expensive than Bolsa Familia, which is a very successful uh, anti-poverty uh, program. Mm -hmm. And uh, this has given the president... Uh, uh, you know, has boosted the president's uh, approval ratings. There is now a big dilemma because the president has realized that increased increased public spending boosts popularity. He's facing re-election in 2022, so he could just as well keep those, uh, you know, uh, fairly high, which would uh, freak out investors because it's fiscally, you know, it's just not sustainable. Uh, so it's a bit unclear right now how the president, what the president's next move will be. But I think those, you know, this gives you a sense of why, uh, mm -hmm. despite denialism, despite uh, the president's continued decision not to wear a mask to uh, incentivize, you know, people getting together to greet him, uh, to disrespect social distancing measures. He remains a fairly popular uh, mm -hmm. uh, president and has a very, very good shot at re-election. Wow, interesting. Let me let me ask you. I mean, what you've already touched on the issue of fiscal responsibility and fiscal responsibility, and the fact that uh, you know uh, there's been a tremendous amount of, of spending uh, by by the government. Um, what happened to the economic reform, which is one of the reasons, you know, he he was elected in the first instance. He was talking about reforms to the pension uh, plan, which was had kind of run out of control, particularly to the military, but more generally. Wh where are you, if anywhere, with respect to those reforms? Well, the, the president uh, set up this 
in retrospect, really brilliant uh, strategy uh, for the 2018 election because uh, he basically uh, brought three groups together uh, uh, that uh, each group represented a certain grievance that mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, voters had at the time. And uh, because he was such an unusual candidate, uh, he was able to sort of like a, like a, a white cloth, people could sort of project a lot of things onto it <laughs> onto it uh so he was the he 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 was the anti-system candidate who mm -hmm. would basically produce uh you know rupture uh and people who were just fed up with political elites and who wanted to use him to send a message to those political elites mm -hmm. uh, uh voted for him um some of these people want military dictatorship they're tired of democracy and he, the way that he projects himself he in a way promised uh you know uh concentrating power and uh, and and promised you know closing the supreme court and uh you know uh, attacking opposition or or imprisoning uh, uh people who were against him so that was sort of one camp uh mm -hmm. the second is that he brought uh, a lot of generals into uh his government right. and also promised during the campaign to name a lot of generals who still despite all the uh, terrible human rights abuses and the economic crisis that occurred during the military dictatorship still have a fairly good reputation. Actually, the armed forces are the most trusted institution really? in, uh, in Brazil. Brazil. Far more trusted than you know the media or the Supreme Court or Congress or the president. So the armed forces, in a way, in a very shrewd move, were brought in so that people, paradoxically, who were a bit afraid of Bolsonaro's radical foreign uh, rhetoric could mm -hmm. say, well, the military will somehow stabilize this guy, control this guy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because the military stands for tough, you know, a tough stance on public crime, mm -hmm. uh, which really worsened throughout uh, even the boom years in Brazil. Uh, we have around 60,000 homicides a, a year. So the huge concern. And he was the, the person who offered, uh, you know, they were mostly wrong and simplistic, but easy answers. Right. Uh, to militarize the response to, 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 to street crime, for example, and organized crime. Mm -hmm. And the third group were these uh, neoliberal economists right. uh, who, uh, you know, attracted a lot of people who were just uh, fed up with Brazil's, uh, you know, state capitalism, uh, uh, you know, politicization of the economy, protectionism, uh, very, you know, you know, the lack of, of dynamism in the U.S. and the uh, Brazilian economy. Economy, yeah. And it, it, of course, occurred to some people that Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro's worldview is uh, not at all liberal. He's illiberal. Mm -hmm. uh, he admired Hugo Chavez in the nineties. Uh, he's he's a caudillo, and the more you want to, the more control you want to have, the more control you want to have over the economy. And you can see that over the past uh, two years. Bolsonaro, mm -hmm. for example, threatening to sack uh, the uh, CEO of a uh, you know of a big public bank, which the minister of the economy is trying to privatize. Now, you uh, you know, presidential intervention in that bank isn't really a sign that the president is ready to privatize the bank, right? He wants to hold, <laughs> he wants to keep control over these things. So reforms have been as expected. Uh, you know, have been very slow. The market uh, uh, you know gave Bolsonaro the benefit of the doubt. 
but the quote unquote super minister uh, is very much weakened, who is the minister of the economy. Mm-hmm. And pension reform did take place last year, but not because of the president, but despite the president, because Congress basically took, the, took it into its own hands to approve pension reform, which at no point uh, enjoyed strong support by the president. And, and now with uh, elections looming, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the president perceiving the political benefits of, of increased public spending, I cannot imagine um, big reforms taking place over the next two years. Okay. And you don't think he's going to pay a price for that because you've just suggested that he's uh, quite likely to, or it's possible that he'll be reelected. Well, uh, he's now much more popular amongst the poor, which is quite interesting because he came out as this anti-workers party candidate uh, who, and he lost uh, the only region where he lost in 2018 was the poor Northeast Right. And that's now the area where he's increasingly popular because of the of, of these emergency payments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the political landscape is changing. Uh, I think the economic elites are, uh, you know, a bit tired of Bolsonaro. Right. Uh, and uh, they could uh, embrace a an alternative candidate uh, if, if that candidate happens to be sort of a center-right pro-business person who is less abrasive. Right, uh, uh, like São Paulo's governor uh, Jean Doria, for example, who's kind of you know jokingly called sometimes kind of a, a, a civilized Bolsonaro, a, you know, a gu- <laughs> Bolsonaro gourmet, uh, who's sort of uh, pr- presentable, uh, whereas Bolsonaro is not. Uh, even political elites are ashamed of of, of the president. Uh, so that is uh, is something which could uh, hurt the president in a in a runoff. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, but the opposition is very fragmented. I don't right. think that right. the left would ever support Doria, who's uh, uh, somebody who's teamed up with Bolsonaro uh, to get elected to governorship. I uh, see. Yeah. And and there's so many divisions within the opposition that I think you could have also a central left candidate, <clears throat> and in that case, political elites could hold their nose and say, you know, we don't like this guy. He may erode democracy, uh, but he's not a socialist sort of thing, right? So, so that could still work. And I think Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro's hope is that he'll run against the Workers' Party again in the runoff, yep. which I think would probably uh, guarantee his, his election victory. His re-election. And, I mean, you also have to consider at this stage that um, uh, Bolsonaro is planning something like Trump did. Uh, and he does have control of the armed forces he does he's seekingly he's increasingly seeking to uh to assert control over the, the military police which is also quite powerful uh he's trying to wrest away the control of the from the military police from the governors to, to have it uh controlled by the central government the federal government mm-hmm. and uh you know once you have these elements these anti-democratic elements by the incumbent predicting elections also becomes more difficult I see. So he, he, he somehow sounds, this is just an aside comment, like Hugo Chavez of the right. Uh, absolutely. It, you know, it just... Absolutely. And I, I don't think that uh, these, these sort of uh, populists with authoritarian tendencies, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily right-wing or left-wing. I mean, uh, it's... Fair enough. I, I find there, there's some 
really interesting parallels to AMLO, uh, Lopez Obrador in uh, in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, and paradoxically, you know, Lopez Obrador isn't really a left wing populist. He's actually right now he's he's very uh, concerned about you know uh, fiscal responsibility, which is yeah. somewhat surprising because he considers himself to be a center left populist. Right. But is now, you know, very mm-hmm. judicious about the way he's spending public money, whereas uh, Bolsonaro emerged as a center-right uh, a populist, but who's now embracing public spending. <laughs> spending uh, like a madman. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so I think it's, uh, uh, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of parallels, unfortunately, to Hugo Chavez, the very tense relationship mm-hmm. with, uh, to academia, to any kind of institution that... Uh, isn't penetrable easily uh, com- that he cannot control very tense relationship to the media, calling the media enemies of the people, uh, traitors. Uh, and that rhetoric is very present uh, in Brazil. And I think that um, uh, we need to really look at the Venezuelan case to, uh, you know, to consider what could happen mm-hmm. if the institutions are unable to constrain right. uh, Bolsonaro. Let, let me look at Brazil in the context of the international system for uh, a moment, uh, uh, Oliver. Um, as you know, I- I Italy took hosting of the G20 um, uh, re- uh, recently, um, and clearly there are rather dramatic events um, uh, that have been occurring you know, around the world, pandemic, etc., and of course, uh, ac- actions we've talked about in Washington. Has the has the president, by any chance, uh, Bolsonaro urged an early meeting of leaders of the G20, um, either with respect to the pandemic or uh, other issues that might bring, uh, you know, the envi- well, the environment. I'm not going to suggest he's going to do that, but uh, is there any urge on the part of the president to, uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, develop or call for a uh, a meeting of leaders. Well, it's interesting you, you you mentioned that because this would be the thing that a Brazilian leader would have done prior to 2018. Yep. Uh, and in that sense, not entirely unlike Canada, uh, Brazil was always thought to be a country seen as, you know, uh, sort of a, a good uh, global citizen mm-hmm. uh, because it realized that strong rules and norms also protected it, uh, you know, from countries that were breaching those very rules. So in, in a way that, you know, that, that, that multilateralism mm-hmm. was also seen as a platform where, uh, you know, problems could be solved, but it was also always seen, especially in Brazil's public interest, being a large country, a vulnerable country without uh, hard power. Uh, so that, that there was always this perception that uh, you know our diplomats needed to become specialists in how to operate, you know, at the World Trade Organization, the you know World Health Organization, uh, mm-hmm. you're setting standards uh, because those are ways to protect Brazil's national interest, and that has now all collapsed because we have seen, and I'm not using this term lightly, but seeing the the greatest rupture. In, in Brazilian foreign policy, uh, in the history, actually, uh, <laughs> far greater than during the dictatorship, were the, the sort of the key pillars of Brazil's uh, strategy may, remained largely the same, of course. Mm-hmm. It was much more defensive 
uh, when it was not a democracy. But you didn't really have a complete change in the way that Brazil related to the world after democratization. And that was because the foreign ministry was protected largely right. from political trends. These are people, other, uh, differently from all the other ministries in Brazil, uh, diplomats are trained from early on. You don't really put politicians into the system. So it's very hard to politicize the foreign ministry. Mm -hmm. And what Bolsonaro did in a very, again, a very shrewd move, uh, which shows that he's far more strategic than, than his, he, he appears, right? Because right. the way he speaks suggests somebody who is not very intelligent. Right. You know, he makes a lot of mistakes when he speaks Portuguese. Uh, and a lot of people mistake that for not being sort of street smart, but he's very strategic uh, in a sense because he realized that his anti-establishment, anti-system rhetoric mm -hmm. would no longer be possible, uh, you know, after a couple of years because he'd have to abandon first his anti-corruption stance because his, his, his entire family is mired in corruption <laughs> scandals. Worse than that, they're involved with you know you know militias uh, in 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 the city of Rio de Janeiro, uh, mm. and he is now very much engaged in the kind of horse trading that we call old politics in Brazil. And he he campaigned on ending old yeah. politics, which in a way is also you know is 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 just normal politics in a way that if you want to gain support of some members of Congress. Uh, they want something in return, right? So right, not right. all of that is, you know, morally wrong. It's part of it is just politics, right? Um, and and he is now fully engaging in that to protect himself from impeachment. <laughs> so he can Seems no to be longer a problem around the world. <laughs> yeah. So he can no longer speak out against corruption, and he can no longer speak out against all politics. And the the way that he maintains his loyal followers uh, mobilized is by radicalizing his foreign policy uh, where, you know, his followers can say, this is the Bolsonaro I voted for because mm -hmm. he has created this massive rupture where he's unafraid to attack the president of China, the president of, of, uh, of France, mm -hmm. uh, Angela Merkel, the UN, and now Biden. And we're following uh, a couple of uh, WhatsApp groups that are pro-Bolsonaro WhatsApp groups. And it's yep. really fascinating that these groups nowadays are only talking about foreign policy because they recognize Bolsonaro there and say, finally, somebody who's standing up to, you know, uh, globalist uh, structures and he's figured it out. He's unafraid. And they love all the policy, the foreign policy establishment freaking out and saying, you can't oppose Biden, right? Be pragmatic because you can't uh, attack both Xi Jinping and Joe Biden at the same time. And they see, you know, the sort of public opinion makers uh, desperate to somehow protect, you know, the, the relationship to Biden. And for them, that's proof that Bolsonaro is anti-system, right? <laughs> and they admire the president and say he's unafraid mm -hmm. to say, uh, yeah, there was fraud in the U.S. election. Trump actually won, uh, but the globalists and China and George Soros... They somehow took it. So it makes him retain his aura, which is nothing but a facade of being this ultra radical candidate that these people voted for. Huh. All that to say, G20, 
UN global governance, none of that exists in Brazilian policy, unfortunately. The president only thinks about foreign policy in a way that he wants to mobilize his supporters. His base, yeah. His base. Um, He does... You know, uh, you know, sometimes goes to some summit or another, but he's not really, he doesn't want to take leadership at all, in part because the foreign minister who should be doing these things is the most radicalized uh, conspiracy theory peddling, <laughs> you know, Trumpist you've right. ever seen. I mean, this is somebody who says that there is a conspiracy uh, that combines, uh, you know, the, the an attempt to outlaw Uh, red meat, um, heterosexual relationships, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, personal freedoms, and Mm -hmm. uh, sees this massive uh, conspiracy that puts uh, George Soros and vegans uh, together with, uh, you know, globalists and the Chinese, and QAnon is not very uh, present in Brazil, Really? Yeah. So yeah. uh, that's not somebody who's actually doing, you know, who's thinking normally about foreign policy. Got He's it. an agitator. Yeah. And as a consequence, I unfortunately must say that Brazil will not contribute to any of these uh, structures for the next two years at least. Really? And I take it just as a kind of end point to this, uh, not keen to talk about the Amazon and, and climate Absolutely change. Not. Yeah. This Absolutely is- not, and uh, I must also say that, that that he utilizes international pressure to project himself as kind of the protector of Brazilian sovereignty, right. and that will be a massive problem for for John Kerry, the climate you know, envoy, yes. for yep. Biden, uh, yep. and yep. it will almost inevitably, in my mind, lead to a very, very tense relationship, unfortunately, between the United States and, and Brazil. And I take it no no interest in joining Biden's notion of a summit for democracy either. So, yeah, you must, you know, I, there was a big debate amongst academics and we all sort of, you know, discussed this of, you know, would this make sense? Uh, and I think it, I was very skeptical of this before because right, I was always right. skeptical of sort of dividing the world between democracies and non-democracies. Right. It sort of creates this simplistic idea that isn't really embraced, I think, uh, in the global south that there's two types of countries. Now, democracy is not... Right. No, in, in Brazil, it's a, there's more nuance to it. Uh, also because at some stages, the, the United States has had a very detrimental effect on democracy in Latin America, as, as right. everybody knows. Sure. Um, but now I feel like the Biden administration also has a, a possibility to change this notion that Bolsonaro is defending, that democracy basically failed and, and he represents the future, right? Uh, and then Orban and Trump and, and all these people, they represent the future. Uh, he needs to get some pushback and he hasn't really gotten any pushback, right? Uh, sure. so, so if you point to the, what, what are the, what are the, uh, the, the, the economic costs, yeah, sure, Chinese investors now think twice because there's clearly a sinophobia being promoted by the government. The Europeans, there are you know, some signs of, of, of consumer boycotts against Brazilian products. The Argentines are really worried because Brazil seems to be suddenly a country that has become unpredictable a threat mm-hmm. to, to neighboring mm-hmm. countries. But it's very hard to quantify. So there hasn't been a country, a, a large country, which is actually, uh, you know, saying, look, uh, this may have very concrete consequences. 
uh, for our econo- uh, you know trade relationship. Chips, uh, yeah. Because the Europeans yeah. are still debating should they ratify or not the the Mercosur EU trade deal. I would right. still think they will probably ratify it, and if not, it's not because of uh, you know his Amazon policies, but because the French didn't want the deal in the first place. So. Uh, I, I think doing a democracy summit, if it's done in the right way and not sort of pater, you know, paternalistic, let's right. teach you how to do democracy, which is really doesn't work right now because the United States has just had this very you know, <laughs> near-death experience, let's say, uh, the U.S. democracy. Uh, uh, I, I think it can make sense in a way to generate a uh, – to, 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 to seek to reverse a bit this tendency – that we're all uh, embraced right now because it's it's of course it, it is happening that democracy is in crisis. Right. Uh, you know, populists are on the rise, and that's just the way it is. I think that uh, you know, creating a new narrative uh, could also be inspiring not only to Brazilian voters but also to to um, you know the, the the way we look at uh, the whole phenomenon of of populism in Latin America and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Now, if if Bolsonaro was invited to the summit, uh, I think that a lot of people would say, "Well, you know, this is kind of a mockery of because he, despite being uh, democratically elected, he's clearly not a, a Democrat." Right. Uh, um, excluding him uh, is probably the only solution. He would probably utilize that and say, sure. "These guys are this is the globalist." The globalists. Uh, the globalists yeah. trying to, trying to, I don't know, impose something on us or something. Uh, but, but I think in general, uh, uh, it's important to emphasize the element that you know there's a country that puts at least democracy uh, on the agenda. Uh, so again, provided that's being done in the right way, I think it's an interesting idea. Okay. Well, Oliver, this is being great. I mean, I'm sure that the audience will be very interested in the insights you have with respect to Brazil. Um, and so I appreciate your taking the time uh, to join us for this. Uh, it, it being really, uh, really fascinating. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs>